confusion for you. All eyes on Graham Paul. Simunic, I'm certain, was yellow carded earlier on, and Graham Paul has forgotten about it. Oh, and Siemens been beaten. It's a goal. It's Ronaldinho. Oh, it's not a bad ball for Pelé on the right side. It's Carlos Alberto. And oh, what a great goal that was. Today on Got Got Need, we head to the land of mayonnaise on chips, the European Union and fancy beers. With some world-class players and an exciting style of play, Belgium won hearts around the world with their swashbuckling performances at Russia three years ago, heading to new heights and breaking records along the way. This is the story of Belgium at World Cup 2018. Back in. Oh, what a header! It's a tremendous goal from Vertonghen. Found room for the cross for Lady! Fabulous comeback from Belgium. Courtois safely grabbed. And there's just time for De Bruyne to lead this attack. Japan desperate to cover the spaces. They can't do so for the moment. Lukaku, and here's a winner! Oh, can you believe it? Nasser Chadley. He's done well. De Bruyne. De Bruyne, 2-0! Belgium! What is going on here? Lovely ball. Hazard can settle it all here. And does. Eden Hazard for Belgium, 2-0, and it looks like they are set now. De Bruyne and Hazard involved again. That is it though, Belgium are third in the World Cup. It's their best ever performance at the tournament. Welcome back to another red-hot episode of Got Got Need. My name is Chris Robinson and joining me on the line, as always, from the comfort of his home office, is Liam Baxter. <laughs> yeah, we were, just, we were just discussing our little desk setups, weren't we? How are you doing? <laughs> Resigning yeah. ourselves to the fact that we're going to be sort of uh, doing this from home for a... Uh, for, for a few months uh, yet at a least long, so. long time mm. yeah we were just comparing desk lamps and laptop <laughs> risers so yeah i'm i'm sat in a nice comfy desk chair i've got my bottle of water on the go and i am yeah ready for another hot off the press episode of of got got need yeah uh cool so how how are you doing you good yeah yeah i'm not too bad i'm not too bad i think we're um just you know trying to keep your head above the water and mm. Making sure that, you know, I think we, we literally just talked about the fact that we both went out on really nice long walks today. And I think that's kind of what Definitely. my plan is over the next few weeks is just make sure I get out of the house and are outside of these four walls. So, mm. yeah, I'm doing good. You, you, how about yourself? Very much the same. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. I think um, having, a, having a long walk today and, and you know, sort of uh, getting a few thousand steps in and, and clearing my head and everything, it's... Uh, definitely done done me a few favors and i'm sure i'll sleep well tonight yeah. but you Makes know a huge difference yeah and 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 for you listener i mean what what better accompaniment for a a long walk than uh, than a podcast talking about the world cup i mean come on <laughs> yeah. provide take us it, with you <laughs> provide yeah take us on a journey we're pro- providing all of the tools and all the gifts so 
As always, across this season, we have been brought to you by the good people at Zico Ball, football done right. And uh, each week we've been picking out some articles to to chat about. So, Liam, what have you got for us? Uh, so I've actually found, I found what I found really interesting this week was, um, it was actually only posted a couple of days ago. So this was um, the, the transformation of West Ham to European content or into European contenders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it's by Dan, Dan Woffenden. Sorry if I've butchered your, your surname. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Um, yeah, at Dan Woff 98 And yeah, I just found that it was from... <laughs> but since West Ham's moved to the Olympic Stadium, they've been such a strange side in, in that mm. they've spent quite a lot of money and failed to fulfil a lot of potential. But this article kind of digs into how they're kind of turning things around and how key Thomas Suchek has been to that. And mm. I just found it really... I, I found it a really interesting read. And I'm... It's it's given me a bit of optimism about their kind of fortunes over the next you know kind of year two years and hopefully they can kind of get back into Europe again because I think the last time they got into Europe they ended up going out in the qualifiers to Romanian sides mm. <laughs> so next time they have a stab at it it might be it looks like they're set up to have a bit more like a bit more of a successful stab at it than they were last time absolutely. Um, so I've I've picked out an article that um, you know, I, I'm a fan of of you know managers and tactics and styles and stuff. So there was an mm. article about the most exciting managers in football right now, including Sassuolo's Roberto De Zerbi, who, if if you're not an Italian football follower, um, Atalanta have kind of been the standout side in the last couple of years of playing this very un-Italian style of football, and it's kind mm. of inspired other teams to give it a go and see what happens and. You know, Sassuolo are, are doing an Atalanta and they're kind of doing this very sort of um, exciting, fluid, attacking, you know, sort of gung-ho ap- approach to football this season. And it's all from De Zerbi. Um, also noted in the the article is uh, Leverkusen's uh, Peter Bosch, who has done a bit of a... Um, sort of like a, a career rehabilitation with Leverkusen. Um, yeah, he has. Um, and, and then Borussia Mönchengladbach's Marco Rosa, who is my tip for the Dortmund job in the summer. I think he's, he's the best dressed man in football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so a really speaking the best the the best manager in football. is is by his his dress sense is. You know, it's real menswear hours at all times with Marco Rosa. <laughs> There's a reason why uh, Julian Nagelsmann is not included in that list. So, yeah. <laughs> exciting manager, but sartorially speaking, a little odd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so today's episode, we are talking about Belgium at World Cup 2018. So, a, a very modern story, something that's probably fresh in the fresh in the minds and memories of of you know most football fans and certainly World Cup fans. Um, tackling a story that. It, you know, if you look past what England did at, at Russia 2018, it, it's just an awful lot of fun. Yeah, with I mean, this I I will admit I was actually a little bit skeptical about this episode because I wasn't sure how much was how much was there in terms of a story, but they the the performances at the World Cup is only really the tip of the iceberg. Actually, once you start to dig down a little bit deeper, we have ourselves like another little kind of root and branch review um one or two decades ago that's finally Mm. come to fruition because this is essentially this is this is belgium's kind of golden generation right this is absolutely they uh, aside that well i think belgium finished fourth in the 1986 world cup and then they go one better finish third in 2018 so it's that they they eclipse their previous best ever finish at the world cup and this is 
all down to there's some really good articles out there um and it's it's basically the 2018 finish to the world cup is them just reaping the rewards of this kind of yeah this root and branch in karate into why there was such a dearth of talent around the turn of the millennium mm. they the the belgian kind of i mean the the fa and the belgian pro league both decided to embark on this initi- initiative called project 2000 which similar to the neighbors in in germany where i think we've spoken about the book um das reboot before in this mm. podcast but there was basically this just a just a project designed to produce a fresh new crop of of belgian superstars and they they kind of copied something similar that the belgians did with tennis where they produced like world rank number ones in in kim Kleisters and justine and Anne. and it came just after belgium were eliminated from the 98 world cup in the groups and they just basically realized that there was very little in the way of talent coming through mm. and they thought right we need to do something about that and that's kind of what they did here and it um they say well it 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 worked we we, we see yeah. that it, it worked completely because what that we go we'll go through the squads in the next few moments and they've got a world-class player at every single position on the pitch yeah exactly i mean you've got this brilliant balance of youth and experience in the team you can see where there are pathways for the future as well so you know people sit there and go well, this is a golden generation but what happens when this one retires or if this one's injured or whatever and when you look down the uh, you know into the under 21s 19s 17s or whatever there there are um interesting players at all levels because they've done this you know very joined up thinking approach to how they how they bring players through and how they support their their ambitions and everything um yeah this kind of like the the project 2000 thing that they mm. they essentially that's what they dubbed it anyway was they it, it kind of came at the perfect time i think because after they went out in the world cup in 98 in the group stages they they joint hosted the euros in 2000 with the netherlands and i think although they didn't play that well and they failed to get out of the group i think they finished third in their group losing and then they lost to italy and turkey that year um they made quite a tidy profit on the field hosting this tournament and so mm-hmm. it kind of allowed them the room and the finances to make drastic changes and with with a few people um they they hired a, like a few new heads within the within the belgian fa and the 2018 world cup is essentially the peak of some of the best footballers that they produce over the next kind of 10 15 years and what we'll see what we see i think what you've just pointed out is is, is unlikely to be the only peak Hmm. they're a very small country with a very small population i think it's only 11 11 and a half million they've only got 34 professional clubs across two leagues but the whole this project 2000 thing that the plan is to squeeze as much talent as they can out of this very limited pool i think well i mean uh, we're, we're probably a great example of this england can't like they're, they're a larger country larger population they can afford to like waste some talent i suppose because there's so much there's so many players to choose from whereas that's not an option in belgium they have to make the most out of everything Mm. and one of the main things that they did here is there was like academic like academics in the country research like the problem of age bias within youth team squads and the idea that the earlier you're born in the calendar year the more likely you are to succeed as your body is like more developed uh and in like the youth teams and stuff and there was a statistic that i picked out where um here we go so more than 40 percent of elite youth footballers in belgium were born between january and march which is i mean that's the 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 opening like quarter of the year and only a small fraction were born towards the end of the year so talent is essentially just being filtered out throughout because as you're doing these youth games 
the the, the kids that are at the, the top end of mm. the bracket the january february march they're they're almost a year older than people born in like the players born in december so one of the things the belgians did was they started to run two separate squads at youth level basically so one for kids born in the first six months of the year and another born and another for the kids born for the later six months as a way of like evaluating both yeah. sides equally and i think there's a few players that in this squad that were essentially as beneficiaries of this system so yannick carrasco and apparently dries mertens and thibaut courtois were also supposed to be ones that may have been filtered out but because of the systems that they put in place yeah, yeah. they were picked up on and now you've got I mean, at least one of those. I mean, Thibaut Courtois is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Dries Mertens is one of the highest scoring forwards around Europe at the moment. And then, yeah. uh, you know, the jury's still out on Yannick Carrasco. So, <laughs> so I mean, they, I mean, he still made the squad. So, mm. I mean, interesting that how you say that because uh, my birthday is next month. So technically, that means that in Belgian eyes, I'm elite. So yeah, you'd I'll be play- one of the elite players. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll say that. Uh, so we'll go on to to the the team and, and the manager. Um, so the the squad. I mean, as you just mentioned, it is from back to front. It is completely yeah. packed full of talent. I mean, the, the, the squad that they took to the World Cup in 2018 was this really nice and clever balance between experience and youth. Obviously, bringing players through, giving them experience and everything. I mean, there's names in there. Like at the time, I so take Yuri Tielemans for example. I I knew of Yuri Tielemans. I'd watched a tiny little bit of him. Now he's a household name because of what he's doing at Leicester. Mm. But the squad. I mean, you know, we've got Courtois that's been mentioned. Four four of their centre half part options: Toby Alderweireld, Thomas Vermaelen. Vincent Company and Jan Vertonghen, like four total brick shit houses who can play football. <laughs> yeah, four elite centre backs there. Yeah, and you go into the midfield and you've got Axel Witzel, who I think at the time was playing in China, but is now a fairly regular at Dortmund. Kevin De Bruyne, who is basically a magician. Marouane yeah. Fellaini, who is often derided in this country, but when you consider his ben- his functional benefits into a team when he's playing around other types of players it's really important uh and and the hazard brothers who yeah. their careers have gone on slightly different trajectories in in terms of um eden being um you know one of chelsea's all-time best players and, and now unfortunately struggling at madrid because of injuries and and torgan hazard who has had a really interesting career and and is is doing you know still doing quite good stuff at, at, at Dortmund, um, and then I, probably the area that they are slightly the weakest, but um, you know, in just in terms of numbers, but certainly not in quality. I mean, mm. the the strikers that they took the the main you know the the, the main options were Romelu Lukaku and Mishi Batshuayi. Um, yeah. I did notice that Benteke missed out on this squad, actually. I, I mm. found a couple of names that were dropped, that were cut after the 23, and you've got Christian Benteke, uh, Romelu's brother Jordan Lukaku, Christian Cabaselli, and Rajan Nainggolan. So they all miss out. Like Those are quite some big names to cut from, <laughs> yeah. from a 23-man squad. So that just kind of shows that even trying to trim the fat from this squad is really quite difficult. I know that um, in, in terms of the forward options, yeah, it was, it was yeah Romelu Lukaku and kind of Mich- Michi Batshuayi were the only ones of note in the squad but that's two extremely strong forwards to have especially Romelu Lukaku one of the best finishers in Europe yeah I mean if you were to read out that as a squad for anything people might sit there and go well all of those players in their prime fit and firing all cylinders 
you're talking mm. about like a cha- Champions League winning squad. You're talking about a you know potential one of the best squads in the world. Um, so I think that Belgium themselves had a good a right to feel confident coming into this tournament. Um, obviously, you know, you still have to prove it on the pitch and everything, but to, to go in with that amount of talent, you, you've got to feel good about, you know, what, what's what's coming and the potential. Yeah, they were picked as, as quite, um, you know, kind of dark horse picks for the for the, for the the win, I suppose, when they at the start. It was when you, you pick your favourites for that tournament, obviously you've got Brazil, Germany, France in there. And then I think sort of Belgium were kind of the outside pick. I think they were fifth mm. favourites going in, which proves that, Although they'd obviously not won a major trophy beforehand, they're still. They're, if you just look at the strength of the yeah. squad, you put that up against anyone in the world. The weird one for me was that um, certainly watching through some of the highlights was that apparently Brazil were the like the bookies' favourites. They were the expected winners. And when yeah. I watched, obviously the um, Belgium Brazil game for, for for this episode, but then I watched some other clips of of Brazil throughout the tournament. There's flashes of them you know doing what they did in 98 or 2002 or whatever but you know, that kind of style that brazil swagger and everything but it looked a bit limp to, to me brazil just that they didn't look all that it didn't i wasn't that impressed with anything in particular that i saw so when you watch belgium you sort of like going what well, you you yeah belgium are out brazilling brazil with some of their <laughs> uh, performances some of the way that they yeah. moved the ball about um yeah I mean, that's what I was really impressed with the whole way through the tournament is just the way that Belgium played like mm-hmm. going back and watching some of these I think because every time World Cups roll around I try and watch every single game um, mm-hmm. I think I achieved that this time around um, I think I missed some of Nigeria Iceland but what can you do <laughs> um, <laughs> and I remember watching all of Belgium's games and so going back and watching like yeah, whether it's sort of extended highlight packs and stuff of this or, yeah. or the full games um, for research for this just I remember what a joy they were to watch that year, that, that, that summer yeah um, mm-hmm and yeah yeah and i'm sure we'll get to the end we'll, we'll um vote for our our favorite game as well uh just just to touch on the manager so this is the area that probably they are most mocked for or derided for i suppose it, it, every, <laughs> everyone sees roberto martinez and goes why on earth would you have someone like him in charge of all of these players so when i dug into it a little bit more totally made sense to me okay i'm interested to hear what you've got now because i still don't think it makes sense so right so roberto martinez the ex-swansea wigan and everton manager he was given the belgian job in 2016 i think he took over from mark wilmots um you know he won league one with swansea won the fa cup with wigan but i think it's his work at swansea that really that really did it so Roberto Martinez is often credited with establishing that Swansea style of like possession-based football that that you know mm-hmm. that took them from you know League One all the way up to the Premier League and you know a few you know wonderful years in the Premier League and Mishu and all that sort of stuff all the, all the stuff that we know and love about Swansea and their time in the Premier League. He's the guy who is credited with starting that and creating that philosophy that DNA that they always talk about with Swansea and. Basically, when he went to Wigan, it was the club then basically said, right, if that's going to be the way that we play, we have to hire a manager to continue this style. So that's, you know, Brendan Rodgers comes in, Michael Laudrup comes in, Graham Potter comes in. Um, So 
and when I, I watched some interviews and read some things that he talked about his his management style and his approach to and everything yeah. he, he you know he refers to Johan Cruyff as an influence on his style it, you know it's this very possession based what you do with the ball and how you move it around and everything and while to a lot of people in England it might look like a bit of a banter appointment by the Belgian FA <laughs> if you look if you look past yeah it didn't really work out for him at, at Everton he did he did some okay stuff with Wigan you know winning the FA Cup basically had piss all money but it's what he did at Swansea that I think led the Belgian FA to go let's think a little bit outside the box here like what we've talked about with you know previous teams and managerial appointments uh, um you know it's about thinking outside of the box and going who can do things in a way that's going to work with the talent that we've got and we've got yeah. and we've got limited funds so mm. i think and then you see what they actually were able to achieve at this tournament as well you kind of sit there and go oh, okay I, I kind of get it you know yeah. it's, it's right everyone's i think everyone is right to be skeptical um because i think that it is such a different type of job going from club to international you know there are some managers that only manage international some people can't make the leap you see some uh international managers take club jobs and it doesn't work out it's a very different way of doing it but i think when you just look at a style it makes sense okay yeah i mean i i, I yeah i do i i understand the kind of the stylistic approach to maybe appointing bobby martinez um, <laughs> especially because the, the like you mentioned that the keys to this kind of golden generation of belgian talent was first yeah it was given to mark wilmots beforehand mm. who completely fumbled their chances of winning euro with 2016 wasn't it where they mm. went out to wales yeah and then and then I, I do remember the morning that sort of everyone found out that roberto martinez was given the the belgian job and i just remember a lot of everton fans laughing and mm. i think there was a clip as well i'm not sure whether this is taken out of context or what but i think that the news might have filtered through to some of the belgian squad um as a game was going on because i remember seeing right. lukaku on the bench looking at a phone and giggling and i think that was um whether that was sort of credited to oh you know lukaku's just found out that martinez has got the job and he's kind of laughing away because i remember a lot of uh towards martinez's time the end of his time at everton just derided for not being able to set up a defense and i think if you kind of watch what he does throughout this tournament he just it's just attack 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 just throw all the attacking players in there and let's just see what happens i think i think roberto martinez must interview so well because (laughs) i watched there's a there's a copper 90 um sort of mini documentary on this sort of 2018 journey for belgium and he's um i think they they interviewed him for that and so he's sort of dotted throughout this piece and he speaks so well um mm. incredibly well about this team and about what the whole philosophy behind the football was and what he tried to do um i just think if you have it seems like if you have him as a club manager for 38 games a season and you you kind of watch your team win 4-0 in a swashbuckling style one week and then lose 2-0 the next because you can't organize yeah. a defense properly it must get extremely annoying so i will defer to everton fans on this one or everton <laughs> or sort of wigan fans on this one but yeah. um yeah, I mean, he brought Thierry Henry in as an assistant coach. So that's not a bad shout. <laughs> no, I think it. I think it helps. Um, it's a good decision. Yeah, and it and it helps sort of people take the the management team seriously because you know someone like Romelu Lukaku is going to listen to what Thierry Henry has to say. 
because yeah. of everything that he has done. One yeah. of the greats. Yeah. Already a World Cup winner. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um so in the in the group stage Belgium are drawn with England and Tunisia and Panama. Um I think this was a really fun group to be honest because even you know Panama people were, were you know not expecting a lot from them but I think they brought a lot to the tournament and I think the whole group was just there was just some fun games. Um, yeah, objectively it was really in like just a a, a very exciting group to watch because mm. none of the games were dull. They were either very very one-sided or quite tight if you're uh, the the england tunisia game was very tight right up until the end but then yeah. you've got all of these belgian games which were the, the, the three belgian games are very high scoring yeah yeah so the first game was a 3-0 win versus panama and it was the first time the two teams had ever met For the first thing that i sort of took out from this game so like in the first even like 10 15 minutes and you know, they often talk about the first 10 minutes being important in terms of sort of setting the tone and pace and everything of the game belgium immediately look more athletic and faster and stronger and just a level above and it reminded yeah. me because we're in fa cup season and it reminded me of those fa cup mismatches where someone is like clearly a level above like yeah watching wolves versus chorley last night and it's like mm-hmm. okay yeah it's just like the wolves players are jogging and the Chorley players are out of breath, keeping up, sort of thing. And yeah, it's, it's, it's out of kind, skin. Of, yeah, it's kind <laughs> of like that. And for Panama to only go down three nil, um, I think is a is a testament to how hard they worked. To be honest, because I mean, when you're coming against a team that is just going to throw everything and the kitchen sink at you, um, yeah, not bad. Yeah, the the there were so many chances for Belgium in the opening half, and Panama did extremely well to keep them at, at bay for like 45 minutes they kept mm. the score to nil nil right up until sort of a few minutes after half time yeah and if you look at each of the goals that were scored taking them one by one like the first one for mertens is this like outstanding dipping volley oh, where god yeah what can you do about that that's like there, there's there's really it's just where the talent starts to shine through after mm. i mean the the opening 45 is just two teams trying to like one is just bombarding the other yeah and the sort of the, the panamanians are just about keeping them at bay like trying their their utmost to make sure that the the seal isn't broken and then on 47 minutes just after half time mertens hits this dipping volley which there's nothing anyone can do about that the second strike as well yeah is on 69 minutes it is yeah yeah it's not it's not the goal you look at it's the outside of the boot stubbed cross <laughs> <with the> Bruiner. <laughs> That's it, yeah. What the fuck is that? Like, there's... I'm quite... Like, all of us are quite privileged. We get to watch De Bruyne week in, week out. And Mm. there's... The thing you pick up about Kevin De Bruyne is that there's passes that he makes where they completely take the defence out of the game and there's nothing Mm. that anyone can do to stop that ball ending up on the head or the feet of whoever Kevin De Bruyne intends it to go. Like, he's a wizard. You've already mentioned he's a wizard today. Like, just ram that point home. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Kevin yeah, De Bruyne I mean, is a wizard with a football. That's that's the thing. The, the Lukaku goal isn't about Lukaku's effort because all he does is get in the right place at the right time to get yeah. on the far post and head in this magical sort of outside of the boot crossy pass chippy thing from yeah. De Bruyne that just splits the whole defence. And you see these Panamanian defenders almost turning and, and they realise what's happened after the ball's in the net. Even the keeper yeah. does. They don't. It just goes straight past them. There's nothing anyone can do with like that. De Bruyne has got such like great anticipation that he knows where the ball needs to go and where the run needs to be at the same time. He sort of meets the run mm. 
with the right cross or the right pass at, at any one time and that's just a perfect example you just kind of watch saying like how on earth did you do that <laughs> yeah I mean the third the third goal as well which comes on 75 minutes is another from Lukaku he has a bit more to do on this one but you know he he's he's released um by a really sort of like wonderful pass and he's just got the time to you know take it past a defender you know we'll take it into the box and and jink it past the keeper and make it 3-0 um yeah it was and, a nice finish yeah he he doesn't really have to do a lot but um it, it's obviously great for him to you know to come come out of that game with a couple of goals to kick off the world cup you he's going to feel pretty good going into the next game versus tunisia yeah, one of the favourites to sort of win the golden boot as well. And he starts off with a two-goal performance and mm. he's kind of stamps his, his mark on the tournament already in the first game. But yeah, the, the second game's even more high scoring. There's oh, seven God. goals in this one. Yeah, this is a 5-2 win for Belgium versus Tunisia. Um, and the goals start really early on. Um, Eden, mm. Eden Hazard... Come can, flying at the traps. Yeah, so they get a penalty early on in about after about five or six minutes. Um, it's a challenge that, to me, looks like it's outside of the box. But so the initial contact is outside of the box clearly but because Mounier falls down inside of the box they give it as a penalty and Hazard steps up and you know smashes it in and converts I I think it's ever so slightly contentious but that's just me when you watch the replays the initial contact happens you know about an inch or two away from that white line but that's just me yeah it's it's a great start they sort of they they with, within six minutes they're one they're like within 16 they're two mm. <laughs> within 18 minutes this is already 2-1 like it started such a fast and furious game to begin with and this is this, this is the game where I kind of picked out that as I was watching the highlight packs like there was some I watched some BBC like some extended highlights about 20 minute highlight pack of this mm. on the BBC and <laughs> this is kind of where I picked out that I really struggled to work out at any point throughout the tournament what formation this Belgium side supposed to line up as because yeah. The BBC have it as a three-four-three or most of their like graphic layouts, but um, like I, I I joked at the start of the season that that United under Solskjaer they kind of play this like four vibes two formation. <laughs> like you put four at the back, two up top, and in the middle you just got this kind of you know play how you feel thing. I'm and sure I'm sure Karl Anker would agree with you on that actually. Yeah, yeah it's it's like where you know the midfields are just kind of thrown in a blender and you just kind of hope for the best. Mm. From what I can see from Martinez here, this is like him playing a three vibes vibes. <laughs> just as, <laughs> yeah. And you've got Lukaku at the top as the focal point. It's just it, it obviously works, but it, if mm. you look at some of the and you've got Carrasco as like a left wing back in this and it's yeah. like at what point has he ever been used as a left wing back up until that point? And yeah, I just kind of each each time the graphics come up at the start of the game and it shows the Belgian formation, I'm like, there's, it, it doesn't work. Like, there's no way they actually line up like that. It's just kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, the attackers are just kind of all over the place and doing, cropping up in all sorts of different positions. But when you've got players like Hazard and De Bruyne that can occupy any any anywhere from the kind of their own 18-yard box to the final third and make the defence pay, then you know yeah. kind of onto a winner anyway because it kind of feels like there's a lot of players that are there ju- just there like you say to almost like support someone who's going to get the the ball in the net so like Mertens for the second goal to make it 2-0 he does a really good bit of like hold up play to help mm-hmm. release Lukaku who can just he literally just smashes it past the keeper and it's just all yeah. happens so quickly then when Tunisia get one back it's this inability to keep up with what's happening from a set piece so it's a set piece it's whipped in and Braun gets a header on it to, it's Dylan Braun gets a header on it to, to score um, so 18 minutes it's 2-1 
and it's just just a bit of a failure of just clearing it and you know people jumping higher it happens to organize a defense again isn't it (laughs) yeah well yeah yeah and you know it happens um you know right at the end of the first half Lukaku makes it 3-1 again it's Mounier holding up the ball playing Lukaku in he takes one touch past the keeper it's a very sort of deft finish and he makes it 3-1 the next goal is from Eden Hazard on 51 minutes um this this one's very very cool so so it's a a slight sort of it's showing that Belgium can score in different ways Um, yeah you know we've seen them do lots of nice passing and lots of team goals and team attempts and everything this is a boot it down the field hazard you know looking up seeing where it's going to come down he chests the ball down jinx it past the keeper with two play two you know defenders trying to sort of get it off of him and he just you know op- open goal and and you know pass you know side foots the the, the ball in and to score um yeah. The camera cuts to like one of the Tunisian defenders that are trying to race back, and they kind of capture mm. that look of resignation as 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 Hazard slides the ball home. He's do, like he's obviously one of the defenders is running back to try and clear it off the line, but he just knows mm. he's not going to get there. <laughs> That's a really good camera cut of just you see it slide down his face as he's like, "Oh no, I'm not making it." <laughs> and you and you're kind of thinking that that's it, but then there's more goals right at the end of the game. So on 90 minutes, Batshuayi. So there's obviously been some substitutions. Tielemans come on, Batshuayi's come on. Um, mm. Tielemans crosses really nicely into bo- into the box, and Batshuayi runs onto it, and knocks it past the keeper to make it five one. And then right at the death, ex Sunderland man Wabi Kazri. <laughs> yeah, he collects the a, a pass in the box, turns on the spot, and it's it's really clever. He, like he doesn't move, he just. He gets the ball, turns exactly where he's standing, and just knocks it past Courtois. And then, yeah. and then the d- the defense and Courtois go, "Hang on, what happened there?" And it's, <laughs> I think they were just coasting. To be honest, I think they were just sort of like, "Ah, oh, the game's won, cool," but and you know, conceded yeah. another one. It was what five? It's five one at that point, isn't it? And yeah, it's yeah. kind of this like scuffed finish, yeah. and game over. The next game is against jolly old England. Uh, and Belgium get another win. It's a one-nil win. Um, both. So uh, this game was interesting for me because of how it influenced where each team would finish on which side of the, the draw. Permutations. Yeah. <laughs> it's this is where like I get all data nerd and stuff. So basically, it's like a loss could be potentially beneficial for either side because yeah. the winner would have been on the the winner of this game and the winner of the group would have been on the side of the draw with four of the other top seven sides in the world so tactically speaking you might want to lose this one so that you're on the other half of the draw so that you've got an easier route to the final Ta- technically and tactically speaking so yeah. both sides make quite significant lineup changes normally this happens when you sit there and go, oh, well, they've both gone through, so it's kind of like a inconsequential match, which it kind of was. It was just who's going to finish top first and who's going to finish second. But you have this point where neither team kind of wants to finish top. So yeah, it kind they, of seemed like that, didn't it? I think that's got all the talk pre-game was that, yeah, no, neither team should just try and win. They should just mm. kind of see it like coast and just see what happens. And yeah, it, like watching the, watching the highlights back, like before the opener comes sort of, just at the start of the second half the majority mm. of the chances fall to belgium yeah they have like the better of the first half definitely i remember i mean i remember watching this game yeah and sitting with a couple of friends in in a really really warm pub that had no windows upstairs <laughs> i remember it was <laughs> so a really hot summer was wasn't it box. Yeah. yeah it was a really hot summer i watched most of the games in a beer garden and this one i just happened to watch in like the upstairs of a 
of a sports bar and it was just really really hot and so you sat there baking um and yeah just remember thinking like in two minds obviously like wanting england to win this game but also the more chances belgium have the more you're like well actually you know (laughs) on the weaker side of the draw here so yeah yeah, it was a quite strange a strange game to watch sort of as a fan of of either team i suppose yeah i mean there's a few sort of um decent attempts you know yuri tielemans has a a good sort of like long attempt which i think initially pickford thought it was going to go over but he has to sort of keep his concentration levels up and and he he sort of you know knocks it over the bar uh gary cahill cleared off the line after batshuayi nearly stabs it home Mm. and the belgians actually thought it across the line but because they were using the you know the watches where it buzzes if the whole of the ball crosses the line the there's a bit where batshuayi's there sort of going how on earth could this not have been a goal look it and the referee just sort of points to his magic watch and he's like didn't buzz mate didn't buzz (laughs) didn't get a notification you don't get a goal don't worry about yeah. it famous that technology famously bamboozled i think it was um oh what's the who's the commentator that used to be on capital gold and is now on bbc one um not guy mowbray jonathan pierce if mm. you if you search jonathan pierce Robot like, Wars. yeah yeah that's the one yeah him <laughs> there's a there's a goal in the 2014 world cup i think i think it's france against someone and jonathan pierce like the, the ball doesn't quite go over the line and then it does go over the line and just listen to the commentary of Jonathan yeah. Pierce. He's completely bamboozled by this whole new technology of whether the ball crossed the line or not. <laughs> the goal comes after 51 minutes. It's the only goal of the game. Um, I think I think it's a really good goal by Adnan Yeah, what Yanazai. a peach. <laughs> Pick I of think the bunch. He really, he really makes Danny Rose look a little bit silly for me because Danny Rose is obviously trying... I think Danny Rose is a good player, but he's trying to keep up with Adnan Yanazai, who mentally is like two steps ahead. He's like, I know where you... you when you see... Well, the way that you see Yanazai move, it's almost like playing a game of chess. If mm. you do this, then I'll do this. And I know that you'll do this next. <laughs> so the way that he sort of takes it past Danny Rose and then whips it into the corner of the goal, it's like he's just two steps ahead. And I just yeah. thought I just thought that that was he made Danny Rose look silly, but not because Danny Rose did anything wrong. Just the intelligence of Yanisai, who's obviously done his research. He's obviously his talent comes in flashes, I think, um, across his career. Um, but but this is like one of those highlight reel things for him. This will be on like you know Adnan Yanisai best moments YouTube compilation. Ten eighty p HD. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. With, with uh, Evanescence on the on the bring yeah. me bring me to life as the soundtrack. Um, <laughs> such a such a well worked goal from him. Like the shimmy, the kind of he neatly rolls over the ball with his like left foot, doesn't he? And shifts mm-hmm. his weight, and that's when Danny Rose kind of commits and goes down to this. Yeah. puts a knee down on the floor, doesn't he, to sort of block the shot. But then, in a split second, he like Yanazai nudges the ball back onto his left and just curls this effort past past mm. Pickford. It's so well worked from him, and yeah, like you'd say, he's two steps ahead at all times. It's an excellent effort, like so such a brilliant, brilliant goal. This win ends an 82-year winless run against England, which dates back to a friendly oh, wow. played in Brussels in 1936, where Belgium won three-two. This was the first wow, time that Belgium would beat England in nearly a hundred years. <laughs> that's, I, I, that's the, yeah. I and spoiler no alert, they do it twice in the same tournament. So, yeah, unluckily. Yeah. Are we um are we going to cover the real highlight of this game though? Go on then. Where um just after the Anazai goal, Batshuayi picks the ball out of the net, blasts it off the goalpost into his own face. <laughs> oh, was that that was this game, wasn't it? Yeah. God, I remember <laughs> that meme. Yeah. 
it's like one of those there was i was on the bbc thing afterwards where mm. yeah he, he he picks up the ball in celebration goes to blast it hits it straight at the post and into his own face batch is like a great follow on twitter and i remember him afterwards just just tweeting the video and just just owning it completely i think i remember you know like how quickly twitter reacts to something like that and mm. Im- immediately like after that happened i it must be not even five minutes someone had already sort of put it to the curb your enthusiasm music <laughs> yeah and uh, that that was that was just brilliant yeah. it's just one of those moments where you're seeing the internet react to something in real time and m- making it a, a thing making it yeah. a, a, like a viral moment and it was brilliant the memes come quick and fast <laughs> and they come for you <laughs> the round of 16 um they are drawn against japan we've talked about game japan. of the tournament Game of the tournament. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about Japan earlier in this um, season. Um, so you can go and check that out and hear all about, you know, Japan's performance at World Cups from a Japanese perspective. But this this game is, um, yeah, up there, up there is the game of the tournament, probably the game of the tournament. Although, although I will say that I think it was the was the germany career game in this tournament where manuel Neuer oh, yeah. goes goes, was, goes yeah. for a run that that's that's up there in terms of just pure comedic value for me <laughs> yeah um the chaos at the end of that one was <laughs> yeah top notch but this had chaos as well so the game's the game's pretty sort of standard it's nil nil um right the way through the first half um and you're thinking that you know it's going to be a fairly low scoring game maybe um and early in the second half Haraguchi scores and it's poor defensive work by Jan Vertonghen um he he just he doesn't cotton on to what's happening around him he can't catch up in time and Haraguchi has the time and space to knock it past Courtois to make it one nil mm-hmm. um it's really against the run of play as well I think because the yeah. first half was very much like Belgium were they hadn't scored yet but they're very much on top similar to maybe similar to the Panama game in terms mm-hmm. of you've got one side with a lot more quality than the other just hammering the goal of the other and the Japanese just sort of kept them at bay and then yeah three minutes into the second half they go one up and it's a well-worked goal but yeah I think you're I think you're right about Vertonghen sort of just being a little bit off the ball there literally (laughs) (laughs) uh the second goal uh the second so Japan go 2-0 up um about four minutes after that and it's uh Inui who who scores a touch of Inui um he takes (laughs) he takes a touch to set himself up and then he basically just belts it from 20 yards and Mm. I don't even think when you see him sort of running away in celebration he he's sort of like what did I just do (laughs) he's bewildered himself really yeah that effort yeah it's a completely mad goal and the commentators go wild and and there's a bit in the commentary on the FIFA coverage where they say something like, oh, and, and Belgium, you know, coming into this game as favourites, they've got all the work to do now. And you're thinking that this is it. This is the end of the road. You know, 2-0 down, um, nearly an hour in. Yeah, I convinced myself at the time that it was because because mm. of the the two years previous where they they really fluffed their lines against the Welsh in in 2016. That mm. that was supposed to be well, that was the I think 2016 was kind of the first time when they were like geared up to be a real contender. Yeah, and they re- like they they flubbed that that game. That was a quarterfinal. As I think that was a quarterfinal mm. in 2016. And yeah, they just didn't pushed like i say i think mark Wood was completely mismanaged that team and i thought this was going to be a repeat of two years previous and i thought that you've got yeah. all this talent you've got this squad where in every single position you've got a world-class 
talent and yet you put a manager in charge who just can't fit the pieces together and can't you know tactically get them set up right and I thought what they'd done here against the Japanese was attack 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 fall 2-0 behind against completely the one to play and then they ju- the game would just kind of fizzle out but within minutes it completely starts to turn on its head and mm. the tide turns and I think at the time obviously when I wanted ja- the Japanese to kind of go through and, and take the scalp of the Belgians yeah me too and you're just yeah. like no <laughs> no <laughs> you can kind of see the way that the game is going as yeah. the game grows on and yeah it, it, yeah, it, it turns you- on 69 minutes isn't it it does, yeah. You see the sort of comeback come into you know real full force with with Jan Vertonghen on on nearly seventy minutes gone, and it's another one of those goals similar to that like Mertens one where it's like you you can't do anything about it. So the ball is sort of like knocked up into the air by various Japanese defenders and the Japanese goalkeeper. It's a bit of a scramble. It then goes out to Jan Vertonghen who. At first, you think he's heading it back into the box, but yeah. it, ha- it has like enough curl on it to just sort of float into the the goal, and and the keeper sort of sees it coming in, kind of last minute, and scrambles and flaps at it, and it's already in the the goal, and everyone then runs to Jan Vertonghen, sort of celebrating. He sort of runs off as if he meant to do it, which he definitely yeah. didn't. I, I don't, don't think. I says. don't think he did. No, I don't think if you if you because he's he's right on the left hand side of kind of the eighteen yard box, mm. isn't he? And, and thought the the thought process would be look if I just head this back into in towards the six yard area, like we've got quite a few big forwards in there that can get on the end of it. But yeah, he, for, you know, Fellaini or Lukaku yeah. can get on it. Yeah. So whether he he mistimes his angles like or what, it ends up in the far corner of the net. It loops mm. back over, and Kawashima can't get to it. It's yeah, it's a really strange effort. Um, if he meant to do it, I mean, kudos, well done, <laughs> well done to him. <laughs> But we're not convinced so on, on, <laughs> No, no, definitely not. No. Um, 74 minutes, and Marouane Fellaini makes it 2-2. It's one of those sort of classic Fellaini goals. It's, um, it's a set piece. Eden Hazard crosses into the box. Fellaini gets his big head on it and, you know, knocks it past the keeper and makes it mm. 2-2. Yeah. It, it's kind of... It, when we talk about, you know, Fellaini having his <laughs> tactical purpose in, in a team... <laughs> This he brings it. he brings height. He brings prowess. He is a brilliant header of the ball. Like he's always been good at that. He you know he's always added that to it. So you've got your you know Hazard can kind of do everything. Can almost play as a, a forward himself. You've got Mounier who's slightly more defensive. You know whatever. You've got Kevin De Bruyne with the passes. You've got Fellaini in the air, um, and he can be a bit of a destroyer when you need him to be. They've got all of these options. Um, and and you know bring it back to two two, and yeah. the game he's the a game nuisance, isn't he? Yeah, and <laughs> he is in the air and just just around the place. You know, <laughs> he he makes himself a nuisance everywhere. You know, he he sort of like hurries people. You know, puts pressure on people to make a quick pass, and you know it's sort of like I either need to pass and potentially lose it, or this guy's gonna you know take me out. So. The the game kind of feels then after that that it's heading for extra time. Um, in a way, I mean the, the the Belgians still pile on the pressure and everything, but you're kind of looking at it going, it's just not going to come. We're going to go to extra time. But then on ninety plus four minutes, yeah, um, Thibaut Courtois releases the ball really quickly to Kevin De Bruyne, who like a fucking machine just runs down the entire field in the center passes it out wide the ball's then crossed into the box lukaku dummies it and it's nasa chadley who's there 
with no one marking him to to score and make it three two on ninety four minutes. Yeah, it's a complete like textbook sweeping counter attack because it starts with a corner. Yeah, uh, up the other end, the Japanese have a corner and it's just yeah, it's collected easily by Courtois who then just releases this counter attack and you can you you kind of you see it coming as soon as the corner is is caught by Courtois. I think what. And I know it's two two, but you could take this to, to extra time if if you're if you're sort of the whoever took the Japanese corner. What you do is you take it short, you hold it in in the corner until the ref blows a whistle, and you've got thirty more minutes then. But what he does is he puts this effort into the box, and within seconds it's down the other end, and and Chadley sweeps the ball past Kawashima in, in the in the Japanese net. But like yeah. the beauty of this effort, I think, is in Lukaku's dummy. Oh like yeah, absolutely, yeah. To allow Chadley to have the shot because Lukaku is the one that he's got two markers kind of tracking him. Yeah. And as the ball is played out to was it Munier? You said Munier? I think it's I think in? it's yeah, I think it's Munier. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. He's he's the one that slides the ball across the penalty box and it's it's aimed at Lukaku really mm. who uses his body to just kind of shepherd the Japanese defender out of the way and with that kind of dummy it rolls mm. straight to Chadley who's got I think there is a defender a few yards away from him so he's got yeah. a little bit of pressure but he just knows i mean it's it's a relatively pressure free finish for mm. chadley and that's where like that's that's lukaku's such a i think he he gets a lot of stick in this country and a lot of like dog whistly abuse because mm. of his time at united but there was that weird you know that ra- that study that was done with racial bias in punditry language where like if you listen to a lot of it, it's or a lot of it was directed at Lukaku. Sort of like he's a really perfect case study for that. He's always yeah. described as like pacey, powerful, bustling, mm. like without any thought given to the intelligence and sort of finishing ability. And that proves it right there. That kind of intelligence yeah. to know where Chadley is behind you. Exactly. Yeah. Like like pace and power. That's Timo Werner. That's who people are talking about when mm. they think that's describing Lukaku. Lukaku's got so much more than that. If you watch him for West Brom, for Everton. We've both watched yeah. him a lot this year for Inter. He's the epitome of like a world-class number nine. Mm. It's got like the intelligence, the movement across the final third, like that pinpoint accuracy with with either feet. And the score sheet in this game like doesn't show a Lukaku goal and it doesn't show like, no, no official statistic will have him down with an assist. But that's that kind of dummy. That's like the assist on this yeah. goal. He should get like a, a second assister, you know, a ghost yeah. assist for that. Yeah, um, Yeah, I thought that was that is everything that is in Lukaku's game kind of encapsulated in that one small little moment there. Yeah. When they, how when did they... you... Sorry, go on. You carry on. I was just going to, I was going to say like, how did you feel about the comeback? Like with the whole kind of Japanese going out at that point, do you remember what you felt at that time? Conflicted emotions, I suppose, because I really like Japan and I really want them to, to achieve things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Kagawa had a really excellent game. I think the goal from Inui was worthy of winning this game, you know, and it being two 0 and that being it. But um, I, I was also really, really impressed at the at Belgium's just keeping their head up and staying positive and staying. And you know, maybe part of that comes from um, Roberto Martinez and, and Thierry Henry of just saying the game's not done. Like mm-hmm. there's there's literally a whole other half of it to go, and until that final whistle goes, you keep going, um, and this just proves that it's one of those things that you you prove that you you have to keep going, and I think the, the actual I remember very clearly when I saw the third goal go in, and you know sort of 
you know, of course I cheered it because it's a great goal scored in a World Cup. You know, it's, as a just general football fan, it was a good thing to watch. And then you realise that NASA Chadley scored it. And I think I turned to someone <laughs> at the time and I was like, why the fuck has he never done that for Tottenham? <laughs> like, where's that been? Like, where's that intelligence been? Where's those runs? Yeah. Where, what? Who the hell? What? How? It, just, <laughs> it was one of those, like, brilliant things to watch. And then you just get frustrated because you go... If you could do that all the bloody time or just a bit yeah. more regularly, you know, you'd probably be playing, uh, you know, a really a higher of, level. Yeah, exactly. Um, just to echo one of the things that you said about um, Romelu Lukaku as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. He, he is a complete forward. You know, he's mm. one of those guys that you could play in um, midfield if you needed to. You could play him as a number 10. You could play him as a number nine. He mm. can do so much and... I, in a complete agreement with you in, in that he is um, underrated but also like misrepresented in England yeah um, definitely because yeah. people just go well you're a striker you're, you're supposed to score goals and it's like yeah but you don't say that about um, Olivier Giroud because everyone just sits there and goes oh because it's his hold up play that's really good and, and blah 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 and isn't he handsome or whatever and it's just like <laughs> no like, any any team should consider themselves lucky to have Lukaku in their team and when you consider yeah. that he is one of the players that Chelsea bought and didn't use properly and then ended up selling on like yeah. Mohamed Salah like Kevin De Bruyne it's like they had all these players and they said oh no you're not good enough or whatever mm. Um, and it's just, you know, I remember I actually watched, I've actually watched Romelu Lukaku for a very, very long time because I watched a few games of his at Anderlecht just before he signed for Chelsea initially. Oh, okay. Because yeah. he was, he, he um, his hero, his like footballing idol is Didier Drogba. Right. So when Chelsea signed him, he was like, my aim is to come and do what Drogba did here. I want to be mm. like the new Drogba. I want to be that guy that, that scores the winning goals, that drives the team forward, that, you know, does, just does everything, just leads it all. And, you know, he wanted to be a Chelsea legend to emulate his idol. So for it to not work out for him there for, you know, variety of reasons and stuff, I, I really do feel for him. And I think that everywhere he's gone, he he's done really really good things i think he a lot of united fans may look back on on his time with hindsight and go oh actually he was pretty good wasn't he i think um, it's just sometimes it just doesn't like a player in a club doesn't quite yeah. gel doesn't quite yeah, mix. It i think it, it could be for any a variety of reasons and mm. it just so happens that he didn't quite gel at probably the biggest and most marketable club on the planet so doesn't mean he's <laughs> any less of a player I think no, like I say I mean, if, we, if you've if anyone's watched him at Inter this year you'll know what a fucking fantastic striker yeah. he is so I was just going to say yeah. the, la- the last couple of seasons at Inter he's been exceptional yeah, yeah. he has yeah. so a couple of final stats from this game so Belgium become the first team to come from two or more goals down to win a World Cup knockout match knockout match in 90 minutes since the 1966 quarterfinal between Portugal and North Korea and Belg- oh, well. Belgium reached the quarterfinal in successive World Cups for the first time ever. So, yeah, it's pretty impressive. You know, when I talked to, in the intro about them sort of breaking records, they're breaking their own records, but breaking World Cup records as well. Yeah, very strong side and they're sort of, yeah, proving to be a success at World Cups at last. So the quarterfinal, they're drawn against Brazil, probably their biggest test yet. Um, I've said earlier on, I 
I don't think Brazil were all that impressive. And in this yeah. game in particular, Belgium out Brazil them. Yeah, they they really like this. I remember watching this game in like yeah in like a packed beer garden and just watching this Brazil side and not being um, very impressed at all. Yeah. I think throughout the tournament up until this point they looked like they could kick it up another gear but never did yeah um and this was i think within within the first sort of half an hour they were they were two nil down and it was mm. they the brazil had chances but fluffed them early on i think there's a tiago silva effort in the, the opening few minutes i think yeah where, he hits the woodwork doesn't he yeah yeah off off his thigh it's so like the corner's yeah. floated in it's knocked on at the near post by miranda and then unmarked three or four yards out tiago silva finds himself with the ball it's not really. It's it kind of ricochets off his thigh onto the post and away, and he's just put his, he puts his head in his hand straight mm. away. That's like that's a gift there. That's a gift to go one nil up, and yet that I mean that they don't they they miss that chance, and it just seemed like that was kind of the story of Brazil through that World yeah. Cup. Yeah, um, and they they they're made to pay sort of ten minutes later. Yeah, I think it's it's an ominous sign early on in the game that's just not going to be their day, and it's, especially when you get to thirteen minutes in. Nasser Chadley has a corner. It goes over company's head. It hits Fernandinho's elbow and goes in as a Fernandinho own goal. Um, initially, mm. on the commentary, they thought that it was company who'd scored it. But when you watch it from the other angle, it quite clearly goes off Fernandinho's elbow and in. And it's uh, yeah. one nil to, to Belgium. Mm. Yeah, just a, a tricky start. Um, well, not for the Belgians. <laughs> they get they get gifted. Like Thiago Silva finds himself like open and and hits the post and then sort of yeah 10 minutes later they find themselves gifted with an own goal so they're mm. already one they're, they're on to a great day the second goal is is it's magic it's magic again isn't Fucking it? phenomenal Lukaku has the ball in the Belgian half so this is how far away this move starts he brings it downfield sort of weaving through the mid uh, the Brazil midfield and defense you know, again, like his his touches and his movement and just weaving and bobbing and just sort of, you know, it's the sort of thing that you would see like Luka Modric do or something. It's 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 magical. And then, and and he's supposed to be the forward sort of thing. He so he's doing like, like the Kevin De Bruyne thing. Yeah. He, he passes it out to Kevin De Bruyne, who like knocks it forward just a, a like a, a couple of times. And I think he sort of realizes that he's got the space and no one's closing him down and. He does. He hits it really nice and low, but it has loads of pace and power on it to score. Yeah, it's such a not like it's such a pure hit. I think if you listen to Guardian Football Weekly. Max Rushton describes it as it's when the ball stays ball, like it's <laughs> so straight and it doesn't dip in yeah. the air at all. It's just a clean shot that arrows so straight into the bottom corner past yeah. Allison. Like it's a really satisfying shot and a, like mm. a satisfying hit to watch back again and again. And they, they show it from all sorts of different angles in the in the, in the highlight packs that I watched. And there's one from just behind that, like sort of, you know, it's kind of between behind the goal and to the side a little bit, where it shows the ball coming directly at the camera. Yeah. And it just stays so it's so true in the air. Mm. Such a great hit, phenomenal. <laughs> there's there is a, a you know some attempts by uh, by Brazil as well. Courtois keeps out a, a fairly decent Coutinho attempt. Um, Brazil then sort of mix things up a bit. They bring on Reni Augusto and almost immediately he has an impact. So on 70, yeah. 76 minutes, he gets a goal. It, uh, the, the ball is chipped in over the defence. He gets a head on it past Courtois. Kind of n- nothing that too much, too many people could do about it. Um, but he, he sort of has a, an impact. 
straight away. And then right at the death of the game, um, Courtois sort of springs into action again and denies Neymar um, mm. for, for Belgium to, to get the win. Um, there's another there's another late on chance for Renio Augusto as well I think mm. it's I'm not sure whether before or after the Neymar chance but he has the ball kind of just at the edge of the D with no one really like, there's people around him but no one in front he's got this kind of clear strike on goal but he kind of gets his angles all wrong and it just goes wide and like that's I thought that that was the chance there I, mm. I didn't realise there was a Neymar one as well but like, yeah. Brazil had the chance to, to at least tie the game up and it was a really strong performance. I thought it was a really strong performance from Belgium early on, but they kind of leave the door open Brazil at the end, and they, and they just they just don't take their chances. Like it's a great scout for Belgium to manage to knock out Brazil in the in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. But yeah, I mean, Brazil it, it, had their chances. On another day, they might have taken them. It's a pretty seismic victory as well. It's the second yeah. ev- their second ever victory versus Brazil. Their first since a 1963 friendly win in Brussels. Wow. So this this shit doesn't happen very often. Um, and it's also <laughs> the, while it lasts. It's, it's also the second time that Brazil uh, Brazil, uh, Brazil Belgium ever reached the semi-finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the last time, as you mentioned, was versus Argentina in 1986, and we know what happened there um, in that semi-final. But you know. We're in uncharted territory. We're in new new ground for for for, for Belgium and, and certainly in the modern era, um, and and then they come up against France, who, as we know, uh, go on to eventually win the whole thing. Yeah, I was actually taken aback by this game because I I remember it being really dull, but mm. it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not a dull game at all. I think I was just. I think we, we've spoken about this kind of phenomenon before on this podcast where we think games are completely different as like than they were. Sometimes we yeah. remember them being really exciting. We'll rewatch them for this podcast and it's like, what the fuck did I think that was exciting? This was the flip. I thought this was completely like just a really dull, boring like 90 minutes where there was just like one goal in the game yeah. and neither side managed to set set the game alight. But it wasn't. Like chances went both ways really early on. There's a really mm. delightful bit of skill from Mbappe and... Uh, I think it's in the early in the second half. We kind of re- receives the ball on the edge of the area, and he pirouettes the ball into the path of Giroud, whose yes. shot is then deflected. But there's like that was the one I so really many liked. little moments in this game where I was like, I mean, that's extremely exciting. Why did I not remember that? Why did I think this was a really boring game? And I think this is mm. a great example of just that playing in reverse because there's been times where we've watched games on this podcast where we're like, oh, can't wait to watch this again. Then we watch it like, oh, <laughs> that was dumb. But these are two teams that obviously know each other very well. They had played each other 73 times before, so it's not like it never happens, this fixture. The most recent meeting before this game was a 4-3 friendly win for Belgium. Um, I think, for me, this game is more about how fucking good Hugo Lloris was because he was world-class in this game, um, keeping out Hazard on at least a couple of occasions. He keeps out Alderweireld. He has a really good attempt. Um, you know, you know. Also, you know, as you just mentioned, that that Giroud chance um, mm. for for France as well was was. You know, it kind of felt like this was. It kind of felt like it. It was the standard that Belgium just weren't at. You know, France were. It was like okay, so you've beaten this team, you've beaten this team, and you've been the better team all the way through you come up against France and they're just that ever so slightly bit more yeah they've got a bit more um I don't know the French term for it but you know what I mean like a, a <laughs> bit of like quoi. 
<laughs> joie de vivre or you know a bit, a bit, a bit of a yeah. uh, bit of swagger a bit of just something just a else. little bit else yeah mm. something something else it was because i mean the goal comes on 51 minutes it's a it's a, just a strong header from mtt isn't it the yeah he, he does that he kind of swag speaking of swagger he kind of swaggers off to the corner flag afterwards in a nice little celebration but yeah. like this this game is just like belgium played really well mm. france played really well belgium went toe to toe with the eventual winners and i mean they lost but it's a goal from a set piece like these things happen yeah i don't think it's any kind of knock on how good belgium are or how good like how, how good they aren't it's just two teams that are fairly equally matched and it it, it sort of came down to this one deciding moment happened yeah. to be a set piece happened to be maybe a defensive throughout you could say so, so well samuel samuel titi being able to out jump maran fellaini is probably the most impressive thing about that <laughs> set piece yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's just one of those things. I thought it was two really strong teams with really strong performances on both sides. And it just, I mean, it's got to go one way or another. So, yeah, it could have so, gone 1-0 to Belgium, 1-0 to France. It could have gone either way. Yeah, someone has to win. Yeah, exactly. They, so, so yeah. I, don't, I don't think that they can feel in any way ashamed of their performance, especially when you see that France go on and win it. I actually yeah. think that the the World Cup final itself was 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 the dullest game of this tournament i actually actually didn't didn't rate it that much because i think it would have been a lot more entertaining just from a viewer's perspective for it mm. to be belgium croatia yeah it would have been a bit more evenly matched i think france were far too strong for croatia i mean the 4-2 mm. score line was a little bit um it tells a little bit of a lie because there's a hugo Lloris mistake in there as well where they yeah. gifts croatia a goal so you know it's there were more France were better than a two goal margin suggests I think um, mm. but yeah I don't, yeah maybe you get if you, you know Belgium Croatia would have been more of a an even final it might be more exciting but France are the best team that summer so mm. going out to the eventual winners is nothing to be ashamed of I think Belgium were I, I mean they definitely showed they were better than the fourth place team let's put it that way <laughs> well yeah going on to that the third place playoff a 2-0 win for Belgium versus England yeah um, I actually couldn't bring myself to watch this game so when I re- when I rewatched I the, the highlights, highlights I didn't rewatch the whole thing <laughs> yeah when I when I watched I didn't watch it when it happened uh, I read oh, about it no oh, read okay. I read about it on the BBC because I, I think it was like on a it was like on a because the World Cup final was on like the Sunday and this was on the Saturday yeah. or something yeah. And I remember, because I was living in London at the time, I remember being like, "There's plenty of, there's plenty more other things that I'd rather do with my with ninety minutes of my life than watch this." So I think I went for a walk. <laughs> I think I went for a walk around. Um, I was living in North London, so I was like, oh, "I think I'll just go for a walk and mm. uh, around uh, Tuffnell Park." And and then I came back <laughs> and like checked on BBC Sport, and I was like, "Oh well, that's kind of what I expected to happen." Um, <laughs> it's a yeah, game that probably game. it's probably a game that neither team wanted um but i still feel that they both put out strong sides yeah um similar to the end of the group phase both very like heavily rotated sides but yeah because of the strength in depth like belgium still start with i mean look at the score sheet munio and hazard both like mm. both on the score sheet so you've got two players there that are sort of first choices um yeah i mean I don't really know what to say about this game. I, I didn't enjoy it. I, no. <laughs> I don't think there's much you can learn from this kind of game. It's just Belgium eclipsing their their most their their, their best place finish before in in capturing the the bronze medal this time round. Yeah, 
I think what's what speaks volumes actually is Belgium won six out of seven games at this World Cup, and in contrast, you look at England who finished fourth. They won four out of seven. Hmm. So, like, there's a huge sort of chasm in between the, the yeah, stories and, of the sides that summer. And I feel like Belgium were ever so... Sl- there were flashes of England being up for it, but Belgium in general, they may they may not have wanted this game, but it's still like, it's another game that we have to play and we want to win it. And yeah. they, they start with a Thomas Mounier goal in, after four minutes. Um, Lukaku plays it out to Chadley. It's a very simple cross to Mounier, who's in the box, who, who knocks it past Pickford. England are just caught napping. They just have, really haven't started the game with their attention fully sort of you know, locked in. Um, so, so I mean, England paid for their sort of lack of activity and attention. So, I mean, they kind of deserved it in a way. Um, Eric Dyer has a, quite a good attempt, but it's cleared off the line. You know, almost making it one all, and there's not too much else to to say about this game apart from the Eden Hazard goal. Yeah, um, which comes right at the very end. Yeah, 82 minutes. It's Kevin De Bruyne who releases Hazard, takes it past the defence into the box and scores. You know, it's kind of textbook Hazard. You know, uh, it's kind of what you expect him to do. Um, so, if it, you know, leaves Belgium finishing third, their best finish at a World Cup after finishing fourth at the 1986 World Cup. And England finished fourth, which I think is still something to hang our hat on. Um, yeah, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, as other th- as we'd normally find with these third place games, we bigged up the third place game. What was it? A few episodes back, when we did yeah. Sweden Bulgaria. Like this is not one to write home about. <laughs> no, sometimes they're bad and sometimes they're good, and this one unfortunately falls into the bad category. Yeah. So looking ahead to the future in Qatar 2022, because. We've got a World Cup coming up next year, so you know that's uh, we do that's something that's something to look forward to. We might be able to do a live show during <laughs> during you the never know. if social distancing, you know, rules are, are lifted and <laughs> space and time allows. We might be able to do some kind of live show. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, we'll probably uh, have a few beers as we do it as well. Uh, some of the the recent call ups to the Belgium team. Uh, for me for me are quite interesting and quite mm-hmm. um quite deserved as well uh timothy castagna uh, the ex-atalanta left back who has moved to leicester um he was called up for i think it was a couple of friendlies or something um you know he's gives them another option um the, the ones that really excite me is uh alexis salamakers from milan who oh, okay yeah <laughs> unfortunately was was red carded uh, was, in, in yeah. a week i really felt for him he's only 21 yeah. um he's he's some player he's he's very very interesting to watch and he's had a great season so far as well like, yeah he took me by surprise really where they started to be started to to crop up in the starting 11 for milan and They've, I mean, this isn't a Milan podcast, but they've done really well in picking up so like really great raw young talent, and he's yeah. definitely one of those. I think so. He's yes, yeah, definitely sure. a very uh, exciting player to look out for, and he's been interesting to watch in the early part of this season. Yeah, and and he's kind of helped transform. I always said like last season in this area, Milan were the the team that I would watch, and then I'd be sort of head in my hands because they did some sort of like horror show sort of. And I'll be there just going, what are you doing that for? Why are you doing that? They they had this immense capacity to shoot themselves in, in their feet. But th- this season, it all just feels a bit more... It's um, clicking. Yeah, it just feels a bit more sensible. 
you know mm. um the, the the last player is a to highlight as a recent call up was uh, Leandro Trossard of Brighton who, oh, okay. yeah who he's I think Brighton have got a really interesting squad. They've got some interesting players that they've, you know, similar to, to Milan, they've sort of just picked up players and, and then everyone's gone, oh, who the hell's that? Um, Yves Basuma is another one of those ones where like, Brighton's picked up and then everyone's sort of going, where did you find him? He's really good. Yeah. Trossard's is, one of those. Yeah, this is actually being recorded on the day where Yves Basuma scored an absolute cracker for Brighton in the FA Cup. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw that. Um, I shout- just before we started recording. Oh, I have to give a shout out to uh, our friend Tim at Punks on the Pitch podcast who uh, posted a little clip of that on, on Twitter and I was like... Yeah, with I'm the eyes to- emoji. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to have to watch that a few more times. That's, uh, that's very, very good. Um, yeah. Did you have any sort of players that you wanted to, to pick out that were you know worthy additions to, to the future of, of In Belgium? terms of... In terms of like the the young players that you you picked out there, like they're obviously the the brightest sparks. Like I I wanted to, I did I did find some quotes from. So the guy's name is Bob. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this name, but Bob Brauves. He's so he's a Belgian youth coach, and he's the one that he's been heavily involved in this project 2000 mm. from the start. I think he's like an administrator and a youth coach, and he's been very outspoken about the way that this whole thing has worked. And he spoke about like a perhaps like a small log jam in the okay. Belgian setup at the moment because because the Belgian squad was so I don't want to say poor but around sort of 2000 2004 2008 those sort of lean years yeah it meant that younger stars could get call-ups early and get yeah, early yeah. experience but now I'll read the quote it says it won't be easy because 10 years ago the players who are in the senior team now had chances to play for them as teenagers there was a lot there was a lost generation so they were able to get lots of experience early now we have a lot of good players it will be very difficult for the young players to become part of the senior squad so because you've got such experienced heads in there now it's going to be a little bit more difficult difficult for castagna salamacas um trossard to to push their way through whereas it was a lot easier for the for hazards and de bruyne's of the world mm-hmm. because you know there wasn't that there, there wasn't so much to push past um but there's obviously there's this there's still just a conveyor belt of talent coming through and i read that um the belgian pro league and the belgian fa hq like they apparently share the same building yeah and like they have all the same aims of effectively just developing right. young players like which makes complete sense if you think about it because if it, as a league you can develop like an exorbitant amounts of talent you can sell that talent and make your clubs profitable and then the belgian national team can call upon that young talent and bolster their squads and try and win trophies. Like it's win-win exactly. for both sides. So the fact that they've revamped their whole national setup since sort of World Cup 1998, it's just, if they can continue to do that, it's just going to pay dividends again and again and again. And like Belgium are no longer like the kind of in vogue dark horse pick. They're up yeah. there with the favorites for every summer now. And I think this 2018 side are probably like the quintessential dark horse team because they were dangerous, but they weren't overly favoured. Yeah, they were exactly, really yeah. interesting, but they weren't the obvious stands out. Like yeah. they made huge waves in the tournament. They obliterated their opponents in the groups. They knocked out perennial winners Brazil, but they still didn't win it. So like, they're not. They're like they're they're the ultimate dark the, the ultimate dark horse. We looked mm. at Croatia before. Um, they maybe weren't the dark horse before they were more of a surprise i think this belgium side are uh, when you think of dark horses like this is exactly what you want from a dark horse yeah. now 
they could just go on and win things i think mm. i mean that they do have some i looked into some of the under 19s under 21s under 17s as well mm. and they do you know the convey about continues i mean a couple of names from that that i mean i'm not going to do premier league club scouting for them but you know <laughs> uh there's a a 19 year old um sort of central defender you can also play a center well the sort of defensive midfield position called marco Kana at the andelect um you set up um breaking through into the first team he's he's sort of very impressive and i suppose similar to the quote that you just say it's like if he gets game time he can develop but mm. it, it requires the game time to then develop and then get the experience at the national team set up and another name that um i would say people may be more familiar with is jeremy doku who's a, at ren um who's a forward and he's impressive he's 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 doing bits he's he's got a bright future ahead of him and those are two that i would be if i was part of the belgium setup and uh you know if you want me to be part <laughs> they of offer it, a job me, yeah they just give me a, a job call just email gotgotneedpod at gmail.com and you know let's just set it up uh yeah th- those two would be one ones to keep an eye on if you because what i was interested in is what does the forward line of belgium look like when dries mertens and lukaku and bachuai retire or whatever and doku is kind of like the the best of the youth strikers that they've got yeah in terms of the next belgian manager where do they go after roberto martinez i suppose he fills those big brown shoes <laughs> yeah exactly that shiny head i suppose they've got a, a few options there's a couple of there's an obvious one a safe one and a wild card one for me okay the, the obvious one for me is vincent company oh okay um the safe hands is dick Advocar, who has managed them before and he's currently having a bit of a renaissance with fire nord mm-hmm. and then the wild card is jackie Mathison, who is the current under 21 and former under 19s manager so he's been sort of like working his way up through the belgium you know managerial pipeline so he managed the under 19 right he's now the under 21's manager and if you wanted to go the Southgate route you could then sort of move <laughs> him up into the into you know in, but but i, I kind of like pathway there then yeah and i kind of like that as well because he knows who's good and who you know who can do what in the under 19's level and under 21's and then if you bring that into the senior setup you then go okay we can get that good blend of, of youth and experience. And I'm sure because their thinking is very joined up, uh, Matthijsson and, and the whole, you know, setup will be informing um, Martinez and, and of, you know, I know Thierry Henry is not, not there anymore. He's uh, currently managing, um, uh, oh, they've rebranded, haven't they? It's not Montreal oh, it's, Impact anymore. Yeah, it's, uh, Club de Football Montreal or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Club, Club de Foot. Yeah, um, that's it. Uh, so you know i'm sure that that information will be being passed on and, and sent up the line but if you're um if you're given the job of hiring one of the three who are you going for <laughs> we're just putting you in, in in imaginary positions at the belgian fa at the moment but <laughs> who would you I, go for if, if, um company okay i'd go company i think that um while his managerial experience um is limited so far um i think that he 
what he did at Manchester City from a sort of you know how how he performs as a captain and a, as a leader and inspiring people and getting people up for it um I think he would know the right things to say and he'd know the right thing maybe not necessarily always the right things to do from a tactical perspective but he'd know what how to get people pumped up and I think yeah. that uh, yeah he'd be a really interesting one for me one bald man in one bald man out yeah exactly you know, you've got to keep that <laughs> conveyor belt of talent going cool well so thank you very much for for joining us on uh this journey through the world cup in 2018 from a belgian perspective and, and thank you liam for joining me as always yeah not a problem enjoyed that one that was uh like i say was didn't expect too much but there was a hell of a lot more in there than than first thought well if you want something that's got a hell of a lot in it you'll really enjoy next week's episode where we go back into the swinging 60s to the 1966 world cup where we talk about england winning the world cup it had to happen we've put it up we've put it off for long enough haven't we we had to get there we had to get there so yeah next week we're talking about england winning the world cup in 1966 and we hope that you'll join us then 